Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to Claret and Blue. It's an all new episode of uh, AVFC Extra with myself, James Rushton. And uh, once again, joined by Josh Williams. Uh, he had a fantastic reception to the last episode. This one's actually a step better. Yeah, the bad news is the man the man who could left uh we we've got no jack Grealish anymore but what we do have is 100 million pounds and a lot of exciting new signings chief among them is danny ings a shock signing actually come out of nowhere a few days ago and myself and josh spoke about how we how we learned of his signing and what a shock it was but what a positive shock it was uh brilliant fantastic signing and josh went into so much detail about ings he's past at liverpool kind of the present ish at southampton and the future what he could bring to villa as well as his concerns about the deal largely again it's another positive chat and avfc extra so i hope you enjoy the podcast as much as i enjoyed the chat you are listening to avfc extra a no-nonsense look at the club we all love brought to you by the claret and blue podcast So if you're anything like me, Josh, um, the Jack Grealish thing dominated the news yesterday. I, I don't know what your perspective on it was as a neutral was, but I think we got to talk about that first before we get into the the main thing of Danny Ings. Um, dominated, you know, even Lionel Messi joins Barcelona and Villa fans sick of hearing it now. But, you know, what's your take on, on that 100 million move before we get into things? I think it's a shame. Um, I would have rather Manchester City didn't acquire a player like Jack Grealish, I'll be honest. Yeah. Well, I did have a feeling it was it was in the works. You know, I, I know the Villa side was very, very fixed on the idea that he was staying, but just the business that Villa were doing, specifically Buendia, I think is a very similar player. So I thought when that started to happen, I was a little bit mindful that a deal was in the works. And now that it has happened, I, I must admit, I don't think Villa could have got much of a better deal there. I think Greedlish is, I think last year he signed a deal, didn't he? A new contract. So, yeah. I think he's he's helped his club out there getting a hundred million pound for an academy player. You know that's a lot of money. That so from the Villa side, although it's a big loss, I don't think you can argue too much with that. And you know I tweeted at the time, it is how clubs like Leicester, Liverpool, you know it's how we've climbed a, a number of places up the table by reinvesting whatever you make from these big individual player sales back into the squad. You have to do it well. Because obviously we've seen, for example, what certain clubs have done in the past. You know, Liverpool come to mind again with the reinvestments of the of the Suarez money at the time. I think Spurs invested Gareth Bale money quite poorly as well. Uh, only one or two hits from from about eight players who joined. I think at the time. So Villa have to do it well. I think they have done it well as well. But and you know, it it is definitely a shame that he's left. But I think ultimately moving forward, it it should. Give Villa a bit of a long-term boost when it comes to climbing the table and establishing themselves as, you know, a top ten team, maybe even the European side. Just going to jump ahead of the schedule here because um, the second question I had for you was about what you said about Grealish and how it relates to the, the signing of Danny Ings. You did say you would have to take the qualities of Grealish and spread it across the squad. If that's a scenario where you can't keep Grealish and add alongside him, obviously we're in that scenario now where we've had to spread along the squad. And interestingly, when uh, Christian Perslow, of course, a former Liverpool exec, uh, now 
the CEO of Aston Villa, when he kind of confronted the issue and announced the departure of Grealish, he said exactly what you had brought up like a week ago. And uh, I think uh, the words that you brought up prior to his departure really resonated, not just with, you know, ourselves, Dan Ash and everyone who's on the podcast, but with Villa fans in general, because I think you laid it out in the terms that were so well received by Villa fans when Perzo mentioned it, saying, look, we had what the scouting department did was distill distinct qualities of Jack Grealish into, you know, Leon Bailey, Emmy Buendia and Danny Ings and, and brought those into the club. So just a, a bit of a pat on the back for you there, mate, because I think you're uh, <laughs> ahead of uh, ahead of the game when it came to uh, the uh, announcement. So it was nice to get that that line on the podcast first because it was exactly what Perslow said, which is, you know, whether you, you like him or, or dislike him at the Villa, he nailed it yeah, and yourself now, did they? It's, it's what ex- exactly what Villa have to do now. Yeah, well, I don't think they had much other choice, really, when you look at it. As I said, Greenish is a very, very unique player and extremely valuable as well. And his skill set is ov- obviously extremely valuable. So if you're going to go and try and replace him with one individual, which clubs have tried to do in the past, it just it doesn't really work. So if you can, if you can replace what he is across the team, make the team better as a whole, it does tend to bode better for the side moving forward and I think you know again going back to the Liverpool example when Liverpool sold Coutinho the way in which Liverpool addressed it was okay even though we've sold Coutinho our attack is still very very good we still had Sadio Mane there Firmino Salah came in six months earlier so Liverpool dedicated the majority of their funds to Van Dijk and Alisson uh, Leicester have dedicated Harry Maguire funds and we had Maris funds all over the squad really we look at Villa. Obviously, Villa have looked at Grealish, the fact he's leaving and stuff, and they've basically determined what Grealish is, what Grealish offers. And I think the crux of what we can get from the signings that Villa have made is that Grealish, basically, almost single-handedly, is Aston Villa's attack. He's Aston Villa's entire attack almost. So what you've done is, what Smith has done is, he's went and signed Buendia, he's went and signed Bailey, he's went and signed Ings, and. He's just boosting his attack after the the obvious drop that it's going to suffer when Grealish leaves. So he's going to form a completely new attack, uh, different ways of creating chances, different ways of scoring goals without Jack Grealish in the team. So I do think it's interesting that you know no defensive signs have been made, no real midfield signs have been made. It's just been all dedicated to the attack. We know Smith is is quite an attacking coach anyway. And he seems to be going into this season knowing that Greedis is leaving, thinking to himself, right, if if this is going to happen, there's absolutely no way my attack is going to suffer. So he's just dedicating all of his budget to, to, to getting goals and assists in the team, basically, uh, alongside various other things, which I'm sure we'll get to. Yeah, well, I think it's time to speak uh, about the, the Manning question. The actual Manning still remains at Aston Villa. Hope he's, hopefully he's not moving anywhere. He's only been here a few days. But yeah, the shock, <laughs> the shock signing of Danny Ings, and it is a genuine shock. Um, just to give you a bit of backstory, people listening, when this was announced, um, I got the uh, push notification from Aston Villa, and I was in a pub. I don't know if you people listening might know, it's a Farmer John's pub in Streetly, so it's got no signal. It's like just a black hole of no signal. And uh, I got the push notification, couldn't read anything into it, so I thought... Someone's having a laugh here. This is the Mings contract extension. It's not in Danny Ings joining Aston Villa. It's got to be something about Tyrone Mings. But now I uh, got, went outside, had a walk around, and uh, Danny Ings joined Aston Villa right, literally out of nowhere. Um, you know, and I guess you were just as surprised as I, I was. It was, and the fan base, it was just 
Josh out of nowhere. I was in the middle of playing football when the deal went through. And beforehand, I had no idea about the deal. Didn't hear any rumours whatsoever. And then when I'd finished, you know, he 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 was not only linked, he'd signed. So, uh, but I think at the same time, those I really enjoy those deals. Yeah. Um, and I think specifically when it comes to a player like Danny Ings, who he was linked with Manchester City. You know, he was getting linked with Spurs. And when when that's the case, sometimes you do have to keep it really, really quiet if you want to secure these players. Um, so I was surprised at the silence around the move and stuff. But um, and I, again, you know, going back to my last podcast on the show, which was quite recent actually, I was again impressed at, at Villa's willingness to to step on toes with basically and and put the weight about because, in my opinion, they went and signed there Southampton's best player probably. And Southampton, when it comes to you know a league standing, I'm not sure how close the two teams were last season, but I think certainly based on the past couple of years, you you wouldn't associate Villa as mm. that difference in terms of level to, to Southampton. So I think for Villa to go and poach their best player, um, obviously he's got a year left on his deal, so they've been able to get that over the line. But again, it just it, it showcases the whole project of Villa and, and the, the willingness to, to climb the table. To me, it's like a very positive signing. It's, it's a bit of a weird one because when it came through, there was obviously a few Villa fans went, oh, not quite immediately sure about that because it's expensive, it's Danny Ings. But I think there's a lot of reasons and it makes the kind of Harry Kane saga very interesting because when you speak about Harry Kane, I know he's not a Villa player, so we're not going to speak about him for too long on here, but that transfer saga and its impact on the Grealish thing... Danny Ings was the natural successor to either a Tottenham or, or Man City if they were to miss out or lose out on a, on Harry Kane. So I feel like it's almost like taking that massive option off a table. It's almost like how they, how they treated Arsenal with Buendia. It's like they've seen that hang on, this player is almost definitely moving to a club either well above us or a club we want to be competing with. So it's, it's like taking him off the table for you know for 25 million rose into 30, possibly 30 million. I can't be. I can't be too displeased. No, it's a good point, and um, I think one of the reasons. I was, another one of the reasons I was um, a bit surprised at the deal is I wasn't sure Villa were going to be in the market for the striker. Um, mm. Obviously, you've got Ollie Watkins there; he was available a lot of the time, and he had a decent first season and stuff. Yeah. Um, so when I saw the link come through, my, my one of my first thoughts was. What what's Smith thinking here? How's how Smith gonna gonna integrate this into a into a functional system? Because um I you know, I appeared on last week and I think I was hinting towards maybe a four two three one, a four three three type mm. shape. Bailey has to play on the flanks and stuff and you know, all that all that. So to sign an additional striker who we know Danny Ings' ambitions, we knew we know he wanted to play Champions League football, hence the links with City and Spurs. So you're not signing Danny Ings for your bench. And Ollie Watkins isn't going to play on the bench, so you've got you you've got a front two there that are kind of fixed. They're definitely going to play really, so it's going to be interesting to see how Smith indicates them, and you know I'm sure that'll be one of the topics in the podcast as we as we press on. Yeah, he must be a bloke you're familiar with, then Danny Ings. I know he didn't play in that many games, but he made a fairly high profile move from from Burnley to Liverpool, and kind of. Obviously went wrong for a multitude of uh, unfortunate reasons, but then he made a, almost out the back door exit to Southampton, where he's gone from strength to strength. But how was he in his kind of little spots and spells at Liverpool? Because I know it was also a Liverpool in transition as well when he joined. He was honestly uh, as unlucky as you can possibly get. 
Danny Ings at Liverpool. In an alternative universe, Danny Ings doesn't get injured and he's probably still at Liverpool scoring every every now and then or, or, or something like that because just to, to capture how unlucky he was, Jürgen Klopp gets appointed and seven days later, Danny Ings suffers up there with the worst injuries you can mm. get. Um, finally gets back to fitness after a long, long time. And I'm pretty sure he suffered the same injury again. Um, so he he missed f- basically from the off of Klopp's tenure, where Klopp's in a position where he's got to he, he can shape a squad based on the players at his disposal and stuff. Danny Ings missed 85 matches. Um, you know that's and you can't really can't you can't really come back from that. And by the time he gets back in into full fitness, you know that sort of thing. Roberto Firmino fully established himself by then. As as a number nine, which he wasn't when when Klopp first took over. You know when when Klopp first took over, the strikers at the club really was Sturridge, who was injury prone, and Ings. Really, I think you know unless I'm missing and Ben Teke and Ben Teke didn't fit uh, Klopp's brand of football. So in that position, if Ben Teke's obviously not going to play, Sturridge is in and out because of injuries, which Klopp was getting frustrated by. You had Ings there as the natural player who was going to start playing. And I think if you look at the way he plays as well, he, he's a keen worker without the ball, he works hard. So he, he would have fitted the whole intense brand of football, leading the press type thing. But he just didn't get the opportunity. And by the time he did get fit, as I said, Liverpool were established. I can't remember if... I know Mane was certainly signed by the time Ings got fit. I'm not sure if Salah was, but mm. it was around that time the front three was pretty established. Um, and Ings was just kind of forced to get minutes here and there when he when he could, but because of his long-term injury, he needed more than that. He needed consistent appearances. He needed minutes on the pitch to get back to his level. And eventually we sold him to Southampton, but at Liverpool, he was he was always a popular character. The fans were a big fan of him, always wanted it to work well, worked hard, suited the press and style of play. But when he was sold to Southampton for £20 million, I personally thought it was a good deal. I, I was happy with it. Because uh, he, he he weren't really playing, he was a fringe player. He just suffered from two major major injuries. So for Liverpool to get twenty million for the, for him, I thought it was good business. But you know he's he's since shown that he's he's probably worth more than that. From that move from Liverpool to Southampton, did he kind of step up a notch when he got that? Because first I think it was a loan and then then a permanent signing. Did he step up for Southampton, or was it just kind of the natural path he was on anyway, just disrupted by injuries? I yeah, this is a difficult one. This I am inclined to think it was just his level coming back to the surface almost. Like if you look at before he came to Liverpool, he was at Burnley, and in the Championship he scored twenty one goals. Hmm. Um, and in the following season, first year in the Premier League, again playing for that Burnley team, he, he scored eleven double figures. So you know that's not bad at all. Then the injuries happen. Doesn't really get a chance, I think, throughout his whole time at Liverpool because of the injuries. He scored a total of three Premier League goals, and that's mainly as a product of not being on the pitch. And that was over a like a two year spell. So people quickly forget the potential he had when he when he made his move. I think when he made his move, he was about I think he was around twenty three, something like that. So plenty of his career ahead of him. He can, he can become whatever he wants, hmm. but he didn't really get that opportunity. Um, and now since he started playing again. His scoring from before has just normalised once more. So he's scoring at roughly the same rate 
he was at Burnley. So um, it's it's hard to gauge exactly how good Danny Ings is. But I am inclined to think he's he is really good. I do think he's really good. I think he's certainly better than the average striker. I think he's a bit of a upscale premium type forward, to be honest, in the league. Uh, I think he can win win games almost single handedly and stuff. But it, it and, and if you watch him as well, it's it's, it's not. I, I will get to this, but it's not just the goals that he offers. He's got he's got a lot more to that to his game. So I think yeah, when it comes to assessing Danny Ings and really nailing his level, but the level he could reach, I, I think he, you know, he's been aiming for for Spurs and moves to Manchester City and stuff, hasn't he? I think Manchester City and that might might be a little bit out of his league when he's when it comes to teams really going for the Champions League and stuff. But I think certainly top four, top six, I would say Danny Ings is, is definitely that level. I think he could easily uh, replace Jamie Vardy at Leicester and, and you know, lead, lead the line for Spurs and stuff like that potentially. So I think he's a really good player. Yeah, fits in. Uh, I think I made the joke. Uh, you can't say... Uh... People are trying to sell Jack Grealish to a top six club uh, when uh, Danny Ings has been poached by a top six club now. So yeah, it fits, <laughs> fits straight in, uh, hopefully. But I wanted to know what his, um, what makes him stand out as a forward and kind of what's his style look. He's, he's very familiar to Villa fans. I think, you know, off the top of my head, it, it feels like he scored six goals against us in the last three or four seasons uh, when we've been in the Premier League for, for various teams. But sp- specifically for Southampton, I remember him being quite a dangerous threat against Villa. I think he had a goal kind of took off him as well, quite unfairly for the, the dodgy offside rule, the VAR offside rule uh, last season. So he's always been a threat against Villa. So Villa fans are well accustomed to him. But I wanted to know the specifics of his style, kind of what makes Danny Ings a little bit different, if anything. I think it seems what makes him stand out as a forward. There's a, there's a few obvious boxes for me, I think. I think first of all, which is what everyone will be aware of. He he is a, a very clinical finisher. And when it comes to me delving into his, his data and into his numbers, I can elaborate a little bit further on that. Alongside that, you have a player who's very, very hard working without the ball. So when it comes to, I suppose, the modern pressing game and, and things, he's not the type of striker that you have to carry or who is a bit of a passenger or whatever. He's, he's naturally inclined to run, a bit like Ollie Watkins, really. Um, and I think... In addition to that, when it comes to his possession game, I do think he's he's underrated in terms of what he can offer on the ball, passing and you know retreating into into deeper areas and stuff. So in terms of his style, I think a lot of people who don't watch him all the time but maybe just catch matches a day and things hmm. are likely to think Ings is a poacher, and he's not. He's um he's not that player who solely finishes moves and nothing else. That is Vardy for me. Um, I think Brendan Rodgers has specifically actually come out and said that one of the early instructions he gave to Vardy was stay away from the ball, don't come anywhere near the ball, stretch the defence and put the ball in the back of the net for us and you, you finish the moves, we'll construct the moves for you. Danny Ings is a lot more inclined to get involved with the moves. He's a lot more inclined than you think to, to drop off into number 10 type spaces, link to play. A little bit like Kane, but maybe not was not with such an elaborate passing games of Kane. I think Kane can okay. can do all kinds, but when it comes to dropping off, the Ings naturally does that. I think he is n- number ten on his back for Southampton, rather than number nine. I think I'm right in saying that. Um, and as part of a two-man pairing, which I'm sure he will form a Villa, and which he did form a Saints. 
alongside usually Chardams. He's usually the player to, to drop, and the other the other lad who's with him will will run the opposite way in behind. You know, like a two man duo type working together, doing different things. Ings will usually come to the ball, and whoever he's with will will go away from the ball, running behind, stretch the play for for Ings to use the space in number ten areas. So I think, you know, concluding the style, I do think he's very much the type of player to put the ball in the back of the net. Obviously, we know that, but I think. Villa fans will be surprised at how much how much he helps link the play when it comes to the final third and, and, and things like that. Obviously that's something that you've lost without Grealish. Something that Grealish was integral to. And I think although Bailey and, and Buendia will obviously offer much of that given their deeper roles and stuff, I think people will be surprised how much Yings helps in that department. I can't wait, yeah. I, I think it was almost surprising when yourself and i think you know especially christian perzo when they said you know you you just distill that more players like you said but when perzo specifically mentioned ings as replacing a quality of, of jack Rooks, i think we can assume that means the build-up and you know the goals of cup should come with Ings by default but also that the build-up and being involved in possession so that that's extremely positive but i wanted to kind of delve deep into your speciality now and say ask you if there's anything specifically in the stats that stands out what numbers can you throw at us so in terms of his finishing is obviously a, a major quality of that we that we all know about that's something he's he's praised for but it, when it comes to numbers you know a data perspective finishing is sometimes argued as whether it's even a thing you know some finishing mm. just fluctuates according to some analysts some people who've delved into the subject. Some some players will go on hot streaks, some players will go on cold streaks. But whether finishing is actually a repeatable skill is in question, maybe, you could say. Yeah. Some players have proved that it is a repeatable skill. An example of a player who's done that is Harry Kane. So over the course of the past four seasons in the Premier League only, Kane has scored. We we use expected goals yeah. as the gauge of you know this is how many play how many goals this player should score roughly based on the shots he's being presented with. So if mm. if, if a player gets presented with a penalty, then we know that roughly seventy six percent of penalties are scored. So that's the kind of thing we look at. And if a player majorly underperforms his expected goals over a long period, we know that he's probably a Bad finisher. Okay. If he overperforms expected goals over a long period, we know he's probably above average finisher. Or sometimes you can put luck in there as well. But I think Kane over the past four seasons has overperformed expected goals by about fourteen point nine goals, so around fifteen goals more than the average player based on the goals he scored. That is a lot. That, that, that shows Kane's finishing mm. compared to the average player. Again, a player who's in the news, so we'll use him now is Lionel Messi. Uh, over the past four seasons, again, Lionel Messi has overperformed expected goals <laughs> by a ridiculous total of 34.2. So, compared to the average player, if the average player was presented with the shots Messi's been presented with over the past four years, the average player would have probably scored about 34 goals fewer. And that's purely down to Messi's finishing, Messi's ability to convert shots into goals. When it comes to Ings, Ings has overperformed by not as much, <laughs> but 
about 5.8 goals. So he scored about six goals more than expected over the past four Premier League seasons. And I think going back four seasons, I think the fourth in particular, I think he barely played. So most of that is based on probably the past three seasons, mainly to, mainly the past two seasons, I think. So he's certainly an above-average finisher, in my opinion. Maybe he'd won a bit more than that in terms of proof. You know, maybe he'd want to overperform a little bit more. Maybe he'd want more minutes so that you've got more to go on. But just combining that with watching him, to me, looks like an above-average finisher. I think it's safe to say that. Um, He scores roughly every 5.5 shots, based on last season at least, I think. Whereas Watkins, for example, scores about every 7.5 shots. Doesn't sound like that much of a difference, but over the course of a full season, I know, and Jordan matches and things, it is. And again, going back to Ings' ability to, to kind of link the play and stuff, it comes to passes into the box and progressive passes and, and things like that, basically moving the ball forward from A to B into those valuable areas that we know Grealish delivered. Ings, again, just helps out. Not not loads, mm. particularly compared to the average player, but compared to strikers, he probably helps out more than you'd think. Certainly helps out more than Watkins when you compare their numbers. In terms of a, on a pay 90 basis, I think he completes double the number of passes into the box than Ollie Watkins, and maybe double the number of progressive passes as well. Um, which isn't really a common thing, considering the strikers are already in the penalty box anyway, so they don't really get much of an opportunity to do that. But Ings, just compared to the average striker at least, does a little bit more in that department. The Ollie Watkins situation, because I think Villa have been linked to a few strikers this summer, a um, few wide players as well. Um, n- n- biggest name, of course, without Danny Ings, was, was Tammy Abraham. People think, yeah, we could we could do with another striker, but Ollie Watkins is, is the guy. I think we've settled this question out. Ollie Watkins is the centre-forward. Then you bring Danny Ings in, and I think it doesn't throw Watkins' position into doubt, but from what you're saying, there's almost not a direct upgrade, but someone who's a, a more proven finisher, and Ollie Watkins can definitely get there. But you've brought a guy, Danny Ings isn't going to sit on the bench for, for, for 38 games, is he? He's going he's gonna to be a, a starting role for, for Villa. So I'm just wondering, how does that gel? Does Ollie Watkins now go back, back on the wing? Is Ollie Watkins your centre-forward? Is Danny Ings you know, coming back as a number 10? Um, because it isn't directly immediate in front of us how how this works out, especially Bailey and Wendy thrown into the mixture. When you look at Watkins and Ings, you've got two really hard-working strikers there. I think Ings likes to offer more when it comes to linking the play. We've, we've already established that. If they were forming part of a duo uh, from two, Watkins would probably be the higher player who's stretching defences. Ings would probably drift off a little bit backwards. So if you think of maybe a traditional Thierry Henry, Dennis Bergkamp, mm. uh, Ings would be the Bergkamp and Watkins would be Henry. Uh, whether they'll be that good is another story. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a delicious uh, little line there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think that if you if you look at the other players Villa have signed, obviously I said last week, in terms of Bailey, for me, Bailey has to play on a flank. And then Buendia, either plays as a 10 or on the right for me. So I think the natural conclusion given that would be a 4-4-2 probably, with Bailey on the left, Buendia on the right, a midfield pairing, 
and then the front two of Ings and um, Watkins. Obviously, a, a diamond system would probably be out of question because that doesn't uh, offer a wide role in attack. So, Bailey, where does Bailey play? Um, I suppose 4 2 3 one's potentially an option if Ings is dropping back into a 10 role. But again, that's, there's not too much difference between that and a 4 4 2, really. If, if you think of what a 4 4 2 looks like and what a 4 2 3 1 looks like. The only major difference, really, is rather than Ings being up top next to Watkins, he's about five yards deeper as a 10. But everything else is kind of the same in terms of a double pivot and two wide players and a back four. So, yeah, I'm not sure. And I think maybe in certain other games as well, perhaps when Villa are hardly going to see any of the ball and maybe they want to counter-attack, maybe Watkins then could play out wide with um, Bailey and Ings as, as a front three, maybe. Maybe Buendia goes on the bench for it, for them games and Villa play a bit of a counter-attacking game. But I think the bottom line is probably that Smith has options now, you know, plenty of options in attack. And in addition to those players, obviously he's got Traore as well. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see what Smith does with the players at his disposal. But given, you know, if you're getting Leon Bailey from, from Bay Leverkusen, and you're snatching Buendia from Arsenal's fingers, and you're getting Ings in who wants to play Champions League football. I am inclined to think all three of those will be presented with starting roles, and Watkins, for me, has done nothing to deserve coming out the team. So those are the four players that I think have to play, and how those four will play is up to Smith, but I, I think the natural solution there is probably just 4-4-2. But then if you, if you was to do that as well, who would play as the, the midfield two then? Because you've you've got quite a bit of um, risk taking surrounding mm. that midfield two. So the midfield two would have to be really sensible players, basically. Like I'm thinking, if John McGinn was to play in in that centre midfield two, I'm sure he could. But McGinn seems to me is quite an expressive player. So if everyone's taking risk all over the place, it can it can look a bit messy. Douglas Louise could do it, um, but whether McGinn might be a bit of an overload in terms of too much attack. It's something to consider, but I'm sure he could do it, but it's just um, a question for Smith, maybe. Yeah, I think the options in the camber, Sanson, who's kind of coming back into the fold, he's been given the number eight. So I don't know whether that's a, that's a hint that he's uh, bang up for a starting role uh, as we start the new season. But yeah, I think the four four two. It, I think it's a natural solution um, when things are going wrong as well. I think when Villa were in the doldrums, it was just stick to up top and hope for the best with two midfielders. And it, it didn't work out for the reasons you said, because McGinn wants to travel up the pitch as far as he can. And uh, then you've got one midfielder, essentially, and, uh, you know, for, for essentially from five then. Um, so it is, a, it is a difficult one to kind of ponder. But if, if they can be disciplined and organised, go for it, because that, that attacking thing is, you know, it's mouth-watering. With uh, Leon Bailey, you know, I can't stop mentioning how, how impressed I am with the signing of Leon Bailey. But um, well, if worst comes to the worst, just try and outscore the opponents. You know what I mean? Just just try. If it's four three, it's four three. But at least you're winning the game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Wes Eden owns the, the book, so it'd be like a basketball score. But you know, yeah. I, I think as long as Villa are the great entertainers and uh, a defense can prop them up, why not? Because you have got a good goalkeeper, good defense. 
if the midfield want to wander off, then it's on the attack to, to kind of be the heroes. But you know, football doesn't work like that, does it? When you when you try and play like that, sometimes you just get hammered, don't you? So it's a, it's a bit of a risk. But you know, we we go on, and it's, it takes exciting times to be a Villa fan to ponder all this. Um, on the final note, Paul Merson has just wrote in his Daily Star column that Villa's uh, Villa signing of Danny Ings is the deal of the decade, uh, despite um, the loss of Jack Ridge for 100 million. I mean, big words there, mate. Um, a lot of positivity about the deal floating around. But did you have any concerns? Because I know a lot of people have brought up injuries, injury prone. The, the word's been thrown around a lot, whether I agree with that beyond the point. But um, a lot of people have mentioned these words. Is it, is it worth it? Because we had one deal left, one year left on his deal at Saints. Deal could be worth around £30 million, which is pretty close to, to Villa's record transfer, which was taken by Buendia. You know, is it worth it, essentially? Um, is there any concerns that you might have lingering? Yeah, I, those would be my concerns as well. I think I think I'd have two major concerns, and that they they would be injuries and age. You know, I, I mentioned last week that one thing Villa are doing from a recruitment perspective that I really like is to sign on players who are able to deliver now, while also offering about five years of of work still in the twenties. Um. When it comes to Ings, that's a little bit less the case. You know, Ings is 20, 29 now, as of about as of fourteen days ago. I thought he was twenty eight actually. So the fact he's twenty nine, you know, he's that, that's quite that's quite an aging signing now. And that, that that's a, it, it's for me. It's it's a bit different to Buendia and Bailey because I I think getting Ings in is just a bit more of as I said earlier, just Smith kind of being. If 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 I'm gonna go down this season, yeah. if I'm gonna suffer this season, it will not it will not be through a lack of goals, basically. So I think getting Ings in, although it's a little bit uncharacteristic, uh, a little bit short term, I think it's it's being done almost as a a bit of a guarantee that it it just guards against Villa potentially suffering without Grealish. Obviously, you've got Buendia and Bailey coming in, very good signings in my opinion. But getting Ings in as well, it 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 does just provide a bit more of a safety net when it comes to dropping too far if if things do go a bit pear shaped without Grealish. So I don't I don't like his age because I think I, I would gen, generally avoid mm-hmm. getting players in of that age. But at the same time, if most of your business is getting players in who are twenty three, twenty four, twenty five, at a push twenty six. Getting the odd twenty-nine-year-old in, twenty-eight, who is gonna have a, a real impact specifically on your point tally and your ability to win. I don't overly mind that. I just don't like it when teams get too many of those players in, or if teams get those players in and they're not even difference makers. They're just they're just twenty-nine-year-olds yeah. coming in to just start eating up a contract basically. Hmm. And then when it comes to his injuries. He he has had a fair few, you know, since he's got back to fitness at Southampton. He gets the odd little knock. At at the most the biggest period he's missed for them at any stage has been a period of six games. But around that it's been three games, one game, three games, three games, five games, one game. So he's never out for too long. It's just it's obviously a bit of a frustrating period when he is. And obviously we know that. From an injury perspective, the best way to predict future injuries is looking at what's happened in the past. So the fact he's suffered from those injuries suggests that they're probably going to persist. 
at the same time, no, I'm not an injury expert. That's not my area of expertise yeah. or anything like that. But I don't think a Liverpool type problem will, will materialise again where, he's, where, he, where he misses a season and then misses another season. Mm. You know, that was just extremely unlucky. So I think Villa getting Ings in and maybe having to suffer from his absence in, I don't know, 10 games a season. Villa seems to have the options in attack now to, to be able to cope with that. You know, you can bring Traore in, you can put Sanson as a number 10 maybe, you can bring in El Ghazi if he stays. So, getting things in for most of the season. You know, I'm just going to check now how much he played last season. So, last season he started 26 times. Season before that he started 32 times. And season before that he started 23 times. So, that's, that's a fair amount of time on the pitch. You know, he was coming off at times on the hour mark and the 75th minute mark and things like that. But I don't think he's going to be a problem to the extent that he's just, he's never on the field. But it, but I think some supporters will find it a little bit frustrating when he's in form and he has to leave the pitch for whatever reason because he's suffered from a, a little niggle. Yeah, I think it's just a, a calculated risk. Uh, like, I think like all signings, but you know they, they've put their uh, cards on the table and went, right, we want to, to not win now, but we want to have that senior man in the team. To impact the points tally, like you said, to make up for obviously the uh, the big departure of the week. But yeah, uh, Josh, uh, thank you very much for another fantastic episode. I'm very enlightening about Danny Ings, so I'm glad you got to speak about a, a former Liverpool man on here. So I could give you a little treat. So uh, thank you very much, mate. Where, where can people find you if they need to bother you? Um, yeah, so I'm on Twitter at distance covered. So most of my work will go through that Twitter channel. I post every now and then about Villa. I think the last date of his that I posted was was on Villa. So. Yeah, if you wanna if you wanna follow me work and stuff, just give me a follow on Twitter. Yep. Things can only get better, I guess. So (laughs) (laughs) Oh cheers man, thank you for coming on Josh. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to AVFC Extra, an additional dose of Aston Villa content for you, brought to you by the Claret and Blue podcast team. If you enjoyed the episode, please do get in touch with us, get involved in the comment sections, tweet us at Claret Blue Pod, or leave us a review on iTunes. We really do appreciate it. We'll catch you again very soon with some more content. Until then, up the villa. Up the villa.